0: Another episode of the Brutally Speaking podcast, the official podcast for MetalNexus.net. MetalNexus.net, where you can get all your news, interviews, and going-ons within the rock and metal world. I am John, and with me, as always, is Dan. How are you doing tonight? Well,
1: man, I'm doing good. The snow's melted. I can drive places. Things are really looking up on the on the Dan camp.
0: Uh, we're getting the exact opposite of that over here, uh, which is how I was able to make a lot of money the last two days. But all of that aside, we have a really great guest for you guys on this one and gals. Uh, we have Lindsay Schoolcraft, uh, vocalist and live keyboardist for the band Cradle of Filth, kind of dipping into a little bit of... Uh, how would you classify Cradle of Filth at this point? I feel like they are the Venn diagram of all Venn, Venn diagrams for, for metal.
1: Uh, I would call them pot black metal. Would you really? Yeah, if you really want to get into it deep, I mean, I would say... Well, they are a gothic metal band with slight depressive black metal influences and heavy keyboards. And I could throw like a whole bunch more like with slight influences from death metal and melodic death metal, as well as gothic rock and slight industrial elements. But nobody wants to hear that. So let's just call it pop black metal, which is what it is.
0: Fair enough. I uh it was kinda of interesting how this came about. Um the band is obviously getting ready to uh hit the road on the and I'm gonna probably butcher this again because it's it's such a mouthful with so many vowels and syllables and so forth, but the Cryptoriana World Tour, the second coming of Vice tour with Wednesday thirteen and Raven Black. I still think, like I said in the interview, it's a it's a shame they didn't put tour T O U R in the album name just to, you know, make it a fun play on words.
1: Yeah, well, I mean With Cradle of Filth, they've never had, like, a small vocabulary. (laughs) So, you know, uh, throwing as many weird adjectives in there as you can is kind of par for the course.
0: Right. I think that was actually something that was kind of fun in listening to, you know, listening back to the interview and editing it. You know, the fact that in another (laughs) interview, uh, Lindsay had kind of said that initially she wasn't really a fan of some of Danny's high-pitched vocals that he had done, and then even had kind of made the comment in this interview— about how, you know, in, in researching the lyrics and getting ready for the tour and so forth, how there's a lot of words that Danny just makes up.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I mean, how do you how do you really quantify, you know, records called, like, nymphetamine, thornography? It's weird, but totally <laughs> fine, I guess. Yeah, I, I think, uh,
0: you know, something that was kind of fun, too, is, like, you know, I was listening to this record in preparation for the interview, and I had sent you a message, and I was like, you know... I'd kind of fallen off the cradle wagon a long time ago, like just the albums weren't really hitting me the way that some of the the more classic records had and that I was really pleasantly surprised that this record and the one before it were actually kind of a, a back to basics kind of approach for the band.
1: Yeah, I definitely appreciated a little bit more of the old sound because once it becomes more keyboard than guitar, it starts to get to me. Um, I've got the same complaints against other black metal bands like Demi Borgia and stuff. The ones that like are really well known, it kind of becomes more like Gothic rock than it becomes like black metal. And I want to hear those shrieks and and blast beats and stuff. I mean, that's, that's why I'm here. I'm only here for Godzilla, you know? (laughs) So, uh, so hearing, hearing them kind of go back more to that heavier sound, I think works really well with the band, but they've got a little bit more of a songwriting finesse. I mean, it really, like you talk about in the interview, basically it's like they've just got a new fire reignited underneath them. And uh, I feel like they're going to go forward and, and the albums that people didn't appreciate, you know, are going to kind of be forgotten about. And people are going to remember Cradle of Filth as a classic band.
0: Yeah, uh, kind of speaking of classics, let's uh, switch over to part of our namesake. Uh, tonight I am drinking a local, It's I think it's technically a Sizer, um, but it's called Zombie Killer. And it is oh, cool. a hard uh, cider with honey and cherry added. It is – we found this uh, – my wife and I found this at the food and wine festival that Grand Rapids has every year uh, probably about
1: uh,
0: eight years ago, nine years ago. Okay. Like that. And, again, I'm not much for ciders um, or meads or any of that kind of stuff personally. Like when I find one I like, it's it's usually very far and few between. But uh, there's just something about this. It's got a really nice flavor to it. It's not overly sweet. It's not overly kind of dry as some ciders can be. It's just got a really nice balance between the two, while having a, a very unique uh, flavor all unto itself. Like I like I said, I've not really found a uh, a cider that really tastes like this, or even a mead or a, a cider or whatever. Um, and Bee Nectar, um, who is who makes it? Uh, they are based out of. Uh, up near i think the detroit area ish i like them a lot like they have really good uh crazy stuff uh usually you know looking at anywhere from about eight to thirteen dollars for a bottle of whatever they have um the dude's rug is pretty good um a few other things so if you ever see some b nectar stuff uh don't be shy go try some uh start with the zombie killer work your way to whatever else sounds good but uh that's what i'm drinking tonight dan what do you got
1: well, uh, I'm not drinking it tonight, but the last beer that I had, I was recording an episode of Discography Discussion last night, and I had a uh, Four Hands Brewing Company beer called Absence of Light. Absent
0: or absinthe?
1: Absence. Okay. Like, like, you know, like I'm absent for work. Right. I wish, right? Um, but uh, Absence of Light is like a weird uh, peanut butter chocolate Ooh. stout, and uh, it's it's heavy. Like you can only of them and you're like full like you feel like you just had like a sampler of dessert menu items but uh it's it's like a weird mix of like chocolate malt caramel and like peanut butter which is again sounds disgusting on paper but like it actually is very smooth it's really good i'll have to send you one of them because they're they're fantastic and uh just uh definitely a good recovery because the beer i had before that was also by four hands and that was the chocolate milk stout which i found to be absolutely disgusting it seemed really good because they're like dude it's like drinking a dark chocolate milkshake you know and i was like uh yeah maybe and then i drank it and i was like it just tastes like somebody poured like four cans of blood light into a chocolate milkshake and it wasn't good but they definitely came back with absence of light <laughs> And I was like, "Okay, so this is so the milk stout was just the idea and then this is like the perfected idea."
0: It's funny. I'm a I'm a big fan of stouts and milk stouts and so, so forth. Uh, this fr- this past Friday I actually had uh, I want to say it was a Michigan local though. Um, but it was a Neapolitan milk stout nitro. And okay. so I was expecting it to be pretty good. Neapolitan stouts are kind of hit or miss, sadly. The idea of them is always good on paper but a lot of times execution can either be just fall short of expectations which is i guess on me but um yeah it just wasn't good i drank it um but it wasn't really anything to write home about um but kind of speaking to the variety uh, of the beers that we have had i think that's just as good of a segue to our guest Lindsay schoolcraft so let's get to our interview with Lindsay of cradle of filth and we will talk to you guys afterwards So I have the pleasure this early afternoon, actually, of talking with Lindsay Schoolcraft, uh, vocalist and live keyboardist for Cradle of Filth, who uh, are getting ready to hit the road on the Cryptoriana World Tour, the second coming of Vice. That is a long mouthful of a tour name. Uh, How are you doing this early afternoon?
2: I'm pretty good, thanks. How are you?
0: Doing good. Uh, First of all, I got to say... admittedly i've kind of fallen off of the 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 cradle of filth wagon for a handful of years but i gotta say the last two records you the band uh, collectively has put out have been really really good and kind of got me really excited to go see you guys uh, on this upcoming tour
2: thank you oh, kinda, that means a lot
0: i kind of want to start off though you know your your first album that you came in on hammer of witches you know with with some of the members leaving especially someone like paul you know who had been in the band for such a long time did it put a lot of expectations on you and the rest of the band? Cause I know in some of the other interviews I've heard with you, you know, this was one of the, the first real big opportunities you've gotten to, to be a part of a full-time touring band on this level.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, it was, uh, it was interesting. It was Paul's time to go. Um, we were sad to see him go, but he just wanted to move on and do other things in life. And we had to understand and respect that. And at that point, before he had left um, you know back back in 2000 I believe it's 2014 me and the bassist Daniel Firth actually had started working on some compositions and I know that Martin our drummer being the machine that he is he's always writing he's always got ideas it's insane so he had some stuff put together as well and we were hoping that Paul Allender would take us on as songwriters and want to work with us, but then he had left. And, and Paul is such um, a big part of the legacy of this band. So we were like, oh, crap. Like, w- what do we do? Um, so then Richard and Ashok filled in for that tour at the beginning of 2014. They, they were the two fill-in guitarists because James, James had to make an exit too. Um, and he had been with us for a long time as well. So, you know, we did the one tour of them. And then after the tour, like, we didn't want to say goodbye to them. We grew like that. There's something with the lineup, this lineup. There's such a chemistry, such a brotherhood. I mean, I'm the little sister, but, um, <laughs> you, you know, we just have this family vibe and we didn't want to let like, go of them. And then they went from like being fill-in to like becoming full-time members and writing within months. It was a huge adjustment for them, but they took, they, they took it pretty gracefully and, um, yeah, we, we, we were really nervous. Like, the, I remember the day before the album dropped, we were just texting each other all day. We were so nervous. We're like, oh, my God, what are people going to think? But it really put the pressure on us. But what I like about this band is um, our drummer, Martin, he's kind of the guy who, he's like our hub. He takes all our ideas, he arranges. He he has his BA in music. So, I mean, he graduated from the University of Prague with his master's in music So he's, like, a quality control for us, and he expects a certain level of musicianship and composition from us. And I think that's what's keeping us – he is what's keeping us together. Like, he's the glue that holds together the band. So he pushes, like, us to be better writers and better musicians. And I think that's why this has been working.
0: (laughs) No, it definitely – you know, and the thing I kind of – you know, I don't know if – you guys read the comments at all but it is kind of refreshing to see try not of, to try not to i know uh, <laughs> it has been kind of refreshing to see so many long-time cradle fans really taking to these last two records yeah. and kind of being like this is the the band i remember this is the band i fell in love with it's great to hear you know danny's vocals kind of echoing back to some of the earlier records and so forth and, and you know it's kind of got to feel really good because you know some people might look at you as as hired guns maybe but it's still mm-hmm. got to feel really good that it's like, you know, maybe for, for longtime fans that kind of were like, ah, oh, this this period, I wasn't really into it, but now I'm back and I'm really excited and reinventing yeah. in the band that it's got to feel good for you knowing that you had a hand in, in bringing it back to that level.
2: Well, and that's the thing with this lineup, like when when we all decided, okay, we're going to start writing albums together, we all like, we talk about it and we're like, you know, all of us minus Danny himself, of course, we're all fans of the band so what we do is we just kind of take influence from the, the history of the band, what albums we liked the most that spoke to us and kind of reinvent it and bring it back to today. And that's what we've been doing and we discuss it. And I think, you know, for this next album, we're more so looking at the atmosphere and the production of the album because, um, you know, a lot of what that atmospheric vibe that was in Cruelty and Dusk and Midian is something that we kind of want to bring back and we're pushing for. And I hope, that it's communicated and and comes to fruition because um, it's just nice to see the the old school fans liking us again. Like we really just wanted to bring back what Cradle of Filth was for us to do it our own way. And I mean, and all of us, is weird for us because we were hired guns and, you know, every day it's like, oh my gosh, pinch me. Like I'm in Cradle of Filth. Like never would have thought that (laughs) knowing about them in high school and how big they were when I was in high school, right?
0: Right. You know something else too. I mean, you've kind of spoken to it just just now. I mean, this record is not even a year old, and you're already talking about how you collectively are starting to write for what will be the follow up.
2: Yeah, we are kind of machines like that, but it's because we really love writing. Um, everyone brings something very different to the table. Um, it's great that Martin has such an education with choirs and orchestra. Um, and, you know, I whenever a demo is submitted in our shared, like, file sharing, I know who it's from. Like, everyone has their own unique style that they bring to the table. And then we just kind of mash it all together and make it flow. And I really like that. Like, I, that's what I like about this lineup. Like, there's, um, there's a different character and personality to everything that's contributed.
0: No, most assuredly. And, you know, I kind of wanted to speak to this new record itself. The title, I mean, <laughs> Cradle has been no, no oh. strangers to, to coming up with some really interesting uh, titles that kind of evoke strong visuals. Yeah. So with <laughs> this one, I tried Googling the word. Cryptoriana. Thank you. Uh, which I, I, I feel like it was a, a miss uh, that when you announced the tour that you didn't put T-O-U-R into it and call it.
2: Cryptoriana, um, I know. You would think Danny would be on top of that. <laughs> um,
0: but with this record, you know, and, and the – the offset of the name, too, the seductiveness of decay, you know, it, it kind of, from what I've gathered, kind of speaks to the a fascination with death. Is that kind of yeah. on the right, right verge?
2: Yeah, it's a very, like, stereotypical goth thing. I think, you know, Danny's just reinventing a way of saying... um you know, the, the yeah, like the love of, of death, being in love with the idea of death. But then he puts this like lust twist on it, which he does a lot in his lyrics. He's very um, interesting to work with. Every time we write an album or I have to learn a song from our back catalog, I learn a lot of new words. And then I find out, Fifty percent of them, he literally just made up.
0: <laughs> I wondered that actually. There's uh, and something that was kind of cool about this record is you guys released uh, you know, everything on YouTube, and a lot of the videos accompany uh with lyrics at the bottom of the screen, and you know, I think right. that's something that kind of is missing from a lot of this style of music. You know, where a lot of people are like, I can't understand the vocals, and especially exactly. if you don't have the lyrics in front of you. So to me, it was something I've always kind of known about Danny is just kind of his uh very uh poetic you know tortured soul of sorts uh being almost an ever you know an omnipresent romantic it seems and he uh, is
2: and it's i actually talked about this with my friend last night because i'm like i'm currently studying cruelty and the beast because we'll be doing that live later this year and i'm reading through the lyrics looking for my speeches and i'm like man it's crazy how he has such a an interesting style of voice um yet uh he he's he's covering up all these beautiful lyrics like no one knows that he's actually quite the incredible poet because he's got this screechy high-pitched grub do you know what i mean and it just takes it doesn't take away from that but if you can't understand it you can't understand it
0: so when when you're saying you're doing cruelty and the beast are you guys performing the full record we
2: we uh, we will be doing the full the full um the full album later this year at selected dates um in europe yeah, it's quite it's quite the beast of an album, like no pun intended. <laughs> I'm going through it right now and I'm just like racking my brain trying to get around um, these speeches because, I mean, having the, the female voice in the band almost also as the keyboardist is something that really didn't develop until the last, oh, I'd say less than a decade. I want to say something like around eight, ten years. Right. So. When they were writing these albums, they weren't necessarily thinking about the future of having, like, a member who would sing the female parts, say the speeches, and then also play the crazy keyboard on top of that. So I am just having a hell of a time right now doing two people's jobs.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, something that's kind of been interesting, and, you know, we've talked to uh, to a lot of different uh, artists about doing these uh, anniversary tours of sorts. When when you guys are looking at doing this, do you are you gonna present it exactly as it is on the record from start to finish, or are you gonna play around like I've seen some bands like Unearth do, where you make a set list out of the record itself? So yes, you're playing it in its entirety, but not in the order that it comes in, which I think gives it a completely new life to the record.
2: That's really interesting. I may I may suggest that to the guys, but I think because I went to see um, Mayhem. Uh, and they did, and I can't because my brain is mashed potatoes right now from learning the cruelty songs. Um, they did one of their most famous albums front to back, and it has Mer- Mer- I think Meritus in the title. Anyways, they did. I know I'm such a black metal fan, aren't I? The cult, the cult <laughs> diehards are gonna be after me. So like the elitists are gonna have me you know, hung for this, but um, they 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 did, Mayhem did that, that iconic album from front to back. People loved it. And then they ended their set with a few of their well-known songs from other albums, um, which was perfect. I think it was only like two. I and mean, then it was an incredible night and an incredible show. And I don't think there's any real issue with you know even though people know that the what the song like what song is coming next like they don't really care they're just so excited to see you live and playing that album live i mean i can suggest to the guys but i think for the like you know it's going to be like a from beginning to end type of thing with some extra surprises at the end
0: yeah definitely and you know the fun thing like i saw corn do their self-titled record anniversary and they did oh, it from start to finish jealous. And what was interesting is they even did the in between, like the the spoken stuff, like you know of them just fucking in uh, the studio playing over yeah. the PA, and I was like, this is like you know the fact that like fans were even kind of doing like the that whole thing where uh, before I think it was uh, faggot where they have yeah uh, all that spoken word and like Jonathan and everyone's just fucking around and they're like the play the oh song starting Da-da-da-da-da. like they do like they have that playing oh, over yeah. and the crowds doing it and it's like it's yeah. kind of weird how like these things become larger than just being bullshit on a record like just filler space or whatever that it becomes a thing that we as fans know and then expect like when you go see this and it was not it was an extra level that I had not thought of to do when you go see a band perform a record in its entirety like that
2: totally it's so iconic and that's that comes from an era where you could do weird little fillers on an album and people would listen to it because of the compact disc not right. like this shuffle and, um, you know, playlist generation that we're in now. So those little weird d- d- sections, you know, people are, are about it. I mean, it was may- way more of a thing back then. I I still, you know, with Sepultura's roots, I still know, like, yeah. all the weird noises on that album back to front because it was during that time,
0: right? Right. You know, something else I kind of wanted to talk about that I feel like is, is a lot of fun, maybe, maybe not, um, is, but- you know, the, the visuals that have kind of, changed with the band like you know in in the videos you've done for this record cycle uh even in the single you know there's a couple of different outfits that you all get to wear and it's kind of become part of the marketing as well like there's various band Mm -hmm. photos within these different iterations of of visuals that accompany the band how fun is it to kind of be I don't want to say a character per se, but to be able to kind of have varying outfits that you get to kind of do for this, at least this record cycle. And what kind of goes into creating that visual aspect for the band as a whole?
2: We we talk about this quite a bit. Like some of the guys in the band don't care for it because they're musician heads first. And I totally understand that. So that's where some of the rest of us pick up our pieces um but it's all based on the person's personality like Daniel first likes his best because he's more into like traditional metal um you know Richard Shaw really likes his jacket um it's kind of his thing um you know and it's just everyone bases it on what they want um you know and I feel like for the guys um for you know me and Danny it's more like a fun dress-up thing because we're your typical artistic golf kids. Um, but uh the rest of them, you know, they they I think like one outfit every album cycle is more than they can handle right. for the rest of them, bless them. But I love it. I mean, um, ask anyone, me growing up, I loved Halloween, I loved theater. I I like played the background shark and fish and the little mermaid when I was in <laughs> elementary school. Like I put on full yeah, you name it. I danced around to under the sea. Like, I I was always about dressing up and performing. It's been a huge thing for me. And funny enough is I was that weird punk rock goth kid from the high school to college. And I almost, you know, right before Cradle Filth, I was just becoming boring and like dyed my hair brown and God forbid started wearing color. I was just <laughs> like, I don't know what I was. That was a dark time. Let me tell you, those are the dark ages of my life when I was in university and I was just, you know, trying to see if, if it would work, but then cradle hired me and I went straight back into like, you know, I, I literally am glad I didn't get rid of my wardrobe from college and, and high school. Cause I needed it for stage. <laughs> and um, I love it. I mean, it's really nice. And it's been a, a form of artistic expression for me for a long time and Danny too. And um, you know, Danny's, he's one of like a Gothic culture's icons and, He's got a way about him, and I appreciate him for that. He's very inspiring when he wants to be. Um, Bless him. He's he's like a close friend and my boss, so like you know we're in close corridors a lot, and we get each on on each other's nerves. But at the end of the day, like he's still an inspiration for me, and a good friend, and a great you know and, and artistic influence. And I love it. I love when he comes to me asking for makeup ideas, costume ideas, color schemes. Um, you know, stage planning. Like, there's so much that goes into this band. I've told people, like, it's about 60% music and 40% image. And, I mean, I, I'm i kind of, like, some days I just want it to be 100% music, and I understand where the rest of the band is coming from. But when you've got such dramatic music, you have to have the visuals matching it,
0: absolutely. You know, something that kind of stuck out about the video itself is, you know, Danny's microphone uh, stand and yeah. your, I don't want to call it a crown, but like the uh, the, the adornment that you're wearing on your head, both are featured horns or antlers prominently. Yeah. I was trying to figure out if there's something going on with that when listening to the song itself and, and kind of looking at the record as a whole. And I didn't necessarily find anything, but it's too uh, too on the nose to, to not mean something or to have there be something more there to me
2: right so how do I explain this uh <laughs> when it comes to antlers I've always kind of had a um I didn't know this but with him or the witches like I was just like okay I'm just gonna present myself as like a very organic soft grunge kind of witch and I wanted to wear antlers it I don't know where it came from um but it's just something I wanted to do and then I found out later it had something to do with more of a it's more of like a pagan golf trend. I didn't know this. I'm not, I'm not claiming I started it. So I've just kind of been doing, I've been wearing antlers for a while now and it's just been kind of, uh, it's just kind of something I like to do. And I don't know, we didn't actually plan that with heartbreak and seance um, music video. We showed up and I brought my deer skull to wear on my head and they were like, Oh look, we just decorated like, your microphone stand and your keyboard stand with antlers and i'm like well that worked out kind (laughs) of cool but i mean it bones are kind of a just seductiveness of decay if you think about it so i mean it tied in pretty well yeah um but i'm definitely changing myself up i'm gonna re i'm gonna pull a madonna and reinvent myself a little bit um moving forward because um i there's only so many ways you can wear antlers before, you know, either I wear something too heavy and break my neck or (laughs) I just, you know what I mean? I've, I've tried other, I'm like looking at reinventing that. And I'm like, I think I'm just going to put the antlers to rest. They've done their time. um, But no, I'm a huge fan of um, being from Canada, North American wildlife. I, um, you know, and I have first nations in my, my family and it's like an adopted spirituality spirituality for me and the deer represents um, especially the males with their antlers it it represents confidence and it's something that I like to remind myself I need a lot of because I'm very much one of those until you make it, kind of second-guess myself and need my community, you know. Is, is, you know, Should I wear antlers, guys? Yeah, cool. Okay. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it, it, it ties up. It, it ties up in the imagery, and it has some meaning behind it for sure.
0: You know, kind of in slowly starting to wrap up, a lot of people were very surprised to see Danny Filth uh, pop up on the latest Bring Me to the Horizon uh, record, and especially with the video, which was very kind of tongue-in-cheek as well. Um, yeah. You know, obviously I would assume he kind of talked about, you know, the, hey, I'm going to be on this, or I got this opportunity to go do this thing with, uh, you know, arguably one of the bigger bands currently in the, I'll say, metal scene, and a lot of people will probably get mad at me because they want obviously not metal anymore, but regardless. Right. You know, what was kind of your reaction to, to that? Because it's, I know Danny's obviously done a lot of guest vocal spots, but not something I think so quote-unquote mainstream.
2: Right, okay, so he actually didn't tell us about it, which oh, wow. we were all
0: kind of like, oh, okay
2: until so, like there was like an inkling of it on social media because his daughter is a fan of bring me horizon okay but um about oh god this is six years ago uh he was asked to be on motionless and white like chris motionless contacted him and said hey you should come do a song and he was just humming and hawing and I'm like, oh, no <laughs> and i'm like and i'm like i only knew him for like a few weeks at this point and i said yes like go do it. Collaborate. I love collaborating. Everybody know I love singing. I have sang on many, many projects. I mean, I'm even in the comic book Bells of Bubs right now as the character Skullcraft, and I'm going to be in the music video coming out soon. Um, You know, like, I'm all about collaborating. I think it's like, it can just lead you to the coolest places. So, you know, with that, and then him seeing how the, you know, the, the, the reaction was when people found out, hey, Danny's is on Emotionless and White song. I think that gave him the confidence to to move forward and do that because he's such a unique voice. There's no one in the world like him. No. And I think if people want to work with him, they should because, like, you're never getting, like, no one else is like him. And that's the thing. He'll have bad days on stage. We all do. I have. Every one of us in the band has. And everyone I know who's a musician who does what we do has. And he'll come off stage and be like, oh, it's okay. And I'm like, dude even if you think you were terrible, you're the only person in the world doing your thing. So it was fine. And he's like, oh, okay. you know, what? he's great. He just, he's very hard on himself. And I, I think that he's getting more of that, you know, those, those deer antlers, man, representing the confidence. He's oh, getting back. Yeah, it does. He's getting that confidence. So um, yeah, when we found out, we were like, dude, that's amazing. But you know, he's just, he just gets tied up in his own head and just kind of forgets to tell us things. And, it is what it is. But we, yeah, when we found out we were really happy for him and it's just amazing to see that people reacted to it so well. And the music video was adorable. Like I loved it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I'm really, I'm proud of him for reaching out and collaborating because he's a bigger name than me. And he's a, you know, he is the face of cradle Phil's so it's his band. So having him do that, I think it's, I think it's a mutually beneficial thing for him and whoever he's working with. Definitely.
0: Last last two questions for you, and I don't know if the last mm-hmm. one is officially a question, but I'll get to there. So, you know, <laughs> Rob, get. Rob Zombie has, uh, you know, obviously is known for his theatrics, his his stage outfits and, and all these kind of things. And one of the more interesting time periods of, of his career as a solo artist to me was when he did the – stripped it all away, literally. Like, no big stage production, no costumes, no nothing. Just here we are. We're a, a rock and roll band, and we're going to kick your ass for like an hour, hour and a half. And to me, it was really interesting because at that point, it really strips away everything and makes it about the music, which makes that stand out even more and shows you how good of a songwriter uh, him and his band are. Has there ever been talks of doing something like that within Cradle even recently, like where you just kind of drop all the aesthetics and just kind of do a straight on show with it just being the focus on music?
2: Oh, I think we'll always dress up going on stage because our fans expect that. But I think for the last few years, if anything, because we haven't been doing the live stage show, um, we've actually been really trying to prove ourselves as musicians. I think if anything, Cradle of Filth Live has been more about the musicianship than anything because we haven't really been doing like the giant, you know, like on occasion if it happens, but like the fire and the smoke. And um, mm-hmm. we're actually bringing back the theatrics for this tour in North America. Like um, there's been talks of some really crazy dramatic stuff happening on stage. I'm so excited for it. We have a big rehearsal coming up right before the, the tour. and We're going to leak some of that on social media for our fans to show them like we're we're bringing back what we did back in the day. Um, but yeah, I mean, if anything, that's what we have been doing, but I think that has been, so important for this lineup because, you know, um, looking at the history of Cradle of Filth, we're fresh. I mean, it's amazing. We've been, our anniversary was last week. We've been this lineup for five years. We did two albums together. We're doing a third album together. Um, having that stripped down stage um, show has really given us our chemistry and shown us our way and has allowed us to grow and turn us into the performers we are. So now it's like we've earned the right to have that theatrical big show back um so i mean yeah i mean it's kind of been like that we kind of been like club gigging for the most part i'd say the last six years really
0: yeah and then uh lastly so i was uh looking up a couple of interviews with you to kind of get an idea of how you are uh when you're being interviewed and so forth and oh. <laughs> uh, one of the ones I found, you know, it talked about how a record that kind of got you into, I would say heavier music or whatever, was Kitty's Spit. Hell yeah. Um, I've had Fallon on here a handful of times already, um, basically just going awesome. over Deftones so cool. discography. But it kind of mm-hmm. dawned on me, since, you know, she's done interesting stuff, you know, within like Pig Face and stuff like that with uh, Martin Martin Atkinson, um, mm-hmm. that's You know you both and you know i know canada is a very large area but it was kind of one of those things that you know with you both being working solo and working on music and so forth i kind of was like thinking to myself would you be interested in doing like a collaboration with Fallon and doing something given Holy. her diverse nature of musical influences between, you know, going through what Kitty did to even what she's done on her own and amph- in Assault and so forth? And and I think, you know, the more I thought about it, I was like, I think you guys the two of you could actually come up with some really interesting diverse music.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it'd been an honor to work with her. I've spoken with her online. I've never formally met her. Like we've been in the same room. A few times, but we've never actually had the chance to like meet. Um, she's an incredibly talented musician, and yeah, of course, I 1,000%. I'm I'm friends with um, Mercedes and Tara, and me and me and Morgan Lander are, are homies. And she's actually, um, I did a song for uh, um, uh, Rocky Gray, the the ex the drummer of Evanescence. He did a horror film, and me and him and Morgan did a song together on his soundtrack. So I've so already hit the Kitty camp, but when it comes <laughs> to Fallon, like I would love to just pick that woman's brain and come up with a song with her. Like she's just incredible.
0: Yeah. Most assuredly. And I'd figured it's just something in the Canadian waters that has to happen eventually.
2: Yep. Yeah, it's going to happen. Like me and Elisa Whitebloods eventually will collaborate together and me and Fallon and there, there'll be more me and my friend Leah um, from Vancouver. There's so many of us. We got to, we got to get the collabs going when there's time.
0: <laughs> right. Well, that was all I had for you. Where can everyone find you and or the band online?
2: Yes. Um, you can get us on Instagram, at Cradle You can get me on Instagram. It's at uh, Lindsay Riot. Um, just search for Lindsay Schoolcraft. I'm the first person who comes up. Um, I'm also on Twitter under the same handle. And, yeah, you can find us on all social media. We're there, and uh, I'm fairly active and I know Danny has been Danny Phillips has been very active on his Instagram, so check him there. You never know. You might get a response, maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm very much looking forward to this, uh, the Cryptoriana World Tour, the second coming of Vice, starting March 3rd in Vegas and ending April 4th in Dallas with a date here, March 24th in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Very much looking forward to it with Wednesday 13 and Raven Black. Uh, take care and enjoy the rest of your day.
2: Thanks, you as well. Thanks so much.
0: So that was my conversation with Lindsay Schoolcraft of Cradle of Filth. Dan, what did you think of that interview?
1: Well, I'm glad that you could now talk to people in Canada. (laughs) That's a a big one. I thought it was a good interview, and it was fun kind of to hear not exactly an acknowledgement that Cradle of Filth had kind of started to fall off the bandwagon, but a little bit of an acknowledgement of that when they're like, look, we've got new fire under the band we're going back to a sound that's more comfortable for us and you know we're starting to starting to kind of create the feeling of this is the cradle of filth that people signed up for right and i thought that that was kind of a cool exploration
0: yeah yeah i uh it was a lot of fun though um and something you know I don't think I've said enough on this actually and i, I kind of wanted to say this when I was making the post that you know I want thanking her for coming on the show and, and how much I enjoyed the conversation, but I realized it kind of sounds almost uh like a put down, but basically you know, I love when we have women on the podcast. I wish we could get more of them on the podcast because they offer a completely different perspective on a lot of things i mean it's it's a very male dominated genre of music and music in general, I would say. And to have Lindsay's point of view on, you know, a, a band with the legacy of Cradle of Filth, there was actually one question I didn't get to, which I'd have been kind of wondering. And I guess I'll prose it to you, or maybe I have already in the past. But, you know, Cradle of Filth, for a lot of people, I think, has just become known as the band that has the Jesus as a Cunt shirt. Yeah. And, and it makes me wonder does the band's name really live solely based on a fucking t-shirt at this point or does the music actually still carry the band as far as they've gotten
1: not at this point i don't associate the band with that sort of shirt mindset that they were kind of introduced to people with i think that was kind of their big publicity push in the early years you know and that was just a black metal thing like let's be as controversial as humanly possible and i don't think that they're necessarily held to that now but, yeah, it is funny because for the longest time, the only thing you could ever hear about Cradle of Filth is, oh, are they the band that has that shirt? You know, and uh, everybody wanted that shirt for the longest time. It was like a hot <laughs> hot seller. <laughs> and, um, you know, I I didn't get one because, uh, you know, I don't think the Christian bands that I was playing, with, playing in at the time would have appreciated that. I always did think it was funny. It would have been funny to buy that shirt and wear it to, like, Cornerstone or something. Right. Um, but then, you know, there's a certain feeling of like, oh, okay, so you're that guy. Uh, but to answer your question more specifically, no, I don't think the band has really held to that image much. Um, I think of Cradle of Filth now a, more of a band that tells horror stories and and kind of like more like spacey, gothic, just extra otherworldly type of stuff. And I, I enjoy that about them uh, more so than the, the earlier controversial like let's make a huge statement and then see what everybody thinks about it. You know, I don't think they're that band anymore.
0: No. And listening to the newest record, it it definitely sounds like, and this is going to be kind of a weird uh, comparison. I don't really know that these two bands have ever been compared, but I think from a lyrical aspect uh, is where it kind of makes sense to me. But I feel like it's like for metal dudes who don't want to like a band like him, this is a way to kind of get your like pseudo romance, on in your lyrics, your, your kind of weird, semi-romantic lyrics with, like, dark tinges of, of gothicness to them and so forth, but, you know, with blast beats and, and all that stuff as opposed to having someone, like, sing at you.
1: I have never heard that comparison before. That is, um, I wouldn't say it's on par with the Joe comparison, but, uh,
0: <laughs>
1: you know, because it makes logical sense. But uh, it, that is an interesting way of looking at it, well, I mean, that, you know guys like me that might start feeling a little insecure listening to something like him for too long. Um, Something like Cradle of Filth is kind of a a perfect way to get the same vibe without um, compromising your super metal ideals or whatever.
0: Right. Yeah, and kind of going back to what you were saying about, you know, the the band kind of being controversial in the beginning, something we touched on that was uh, controversial to a lot of people, but not so much steered toward Danny or anybody in the Cradle of Filth camp, but... Danny's appearance on the new bring me record and a lot of people yeah weren't... yeah
1: that was unexpected
0: yeah and you know it was especially in the video for you know Danny kind of very has a You know, very tongue-in-cheek kind of aspect to it, where it's like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna wear my normal Cradle of Filth gear and I'm gonna go grocery shopping." Like, you know, it's it's amusing about how absurd it is, like visually and so forth.
1: Right? You mean that's not how Danny Filth uh, goes grocery shopping? I just thought that was like a par for the course day in the life of kind of thing.
0: He might, he might actually do that, but it was, you know, I had kind of figured it would have been a thing where he would have. Left at the opportunity, really, I guess, to do that, knowing that he had already done the Motionless and White song prior. So the fact that Lindsay was like, actually, we kind of had to persuade him into doing that Motionless and White song, and the fact that he didn't even tell them that, like, yo, I'm doing this Bring Me song. And I think it's kind of interesting, because it's like, and as much that, that Bring Me has gotten so much shit for changing their sound so, quote-unquote, so drastically over the years... I think it's funny that no one really was like, oh, fuck Danny Filth for going to this band.
1: Well, I think anybody that felt that way about Danny Filth felt that way like 10 years ago, you know. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like like we're talking earlier, I can't help but laugh a little bit when we're talking about like, you know, I want to still be super metal and cool, but listen to Cradle of Filth or whatever. Dude, there there was nothing metal or cool about listening to Cradle of Filth like seven or eight years ago. Right. Like it, 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 they were considered like the ultimate sellout band, like in that genre. People that are into black metal don't listen to Cradle of Filth, dude. Like <laughs> they just don't, and that's fine. That's fine for the rest of us because like we don't really want like just straight black metal all the time, you know? Right. So they they took they they built on something and, and made it listenable. Whereas people that are into that kind of underground music or scene, they don't want listenable, you know. <laughs> So in, in anybody that was going to hate on Danny Filth has already gotten that out of their system.
0: Right. I guess that's true. I just thought it was interesting that, you know, she she basically had mentioned, like, she didn't really, none of them knew that that was happening until more or less it was like, eh, here's a song. And it's like, oh, shit.
1: There's actually a Metal Hammer article uh, that's a few years old, probably going back all the way to, like, 2005, 2006. Okay. And it's, like, the 101 rules of black metal. And, like, number one is don't be Danny Filth. <laughs>
0: You know, something, you know, going back that far, actually, that's a great segue to something that also caught me off guard and I thought was really cool is, and sadly, it's only going to be for a handful of European shows. And I haven't seen this anywhere uh, so far, Um, but apparently, you know, Lindsay said that the band's going to be doing the Cruelty and the Beast uh, in its entirety. I don't, you can't necessarily call it an anniversary show because the, what was it, the 10 year anniversary or whatever was last year.
1: Yeah. So it's like yeah, it's, it's not a ten-year thing.
0: Yeah. So I mean, I don't know many bands that celebrate eleven years of something, but I mean, it'll be interesting because you know here in I would say here in America we've been kind of over uh, inundated with the whole anniversary album package tour whatever.
1: Twenty years. It was twenty years, wasn't it?
0: Uh yeah, maybe it was.
1: Cruelty and the Beast was like nineties.
0: Yeah, you're right. I think it, yeah, you're right. I think it came out in ninety ninety eight.
1: I just was thinking that because that's one of the very first albums I ever heard by them.
0: Okay, there's so many records that <laughs> I sometimes forget what came out where because their just output was so so quick. Yeah, it's kind of weird because like I remember we had someone on the show and I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, but you know someone had made the comment that you know even though there are records and songs that are of a certain age, you know ten, ten, fifteen, twenty years, however long you know it may be for that band that basically they said it was the newer stuff that people were attaching to and wanting to hear more to where they're like, oh, fuck, you know, I guess it's kind of cool to hear those songs and some of the ones we don't ever hear, but I actually really wanted to hear the new stuff. And I think for me, if I'm kind of being honest, like, you know, Cradle's got so much material, I actually think I'd like to hear a lot of the newer stuff because I think that's more indicative of how they sound now, and I think they're more excited about that.
1: Let me preface this by saying I'm typically wrong about these kind of (laughs) things. But I'm gonna take my best stab at it. I think anybody whose favorite album is Cruelty and the Beast by Cradle of Filth probably hasn't been on board with Cradle of Filth for the past twenty years. Fair enough. I mean, maybe maybe we'll give it fifteen years or ten years or whatever. But like I feel like they had changed so significantly from that record to now. I don't know how – I mean, I think the old fans might come out to see it, but considering this style and the way the fan base works, I think Cradle of Filth was a really good gateway band for people into black metal that eventually went on to find, like, deeper and darker and more offensive stuff. I don't necessarily think that the old fans are necessarily going to be on board, but I think some of them might come out. Again, I'm typically wrong about these things, so – are you excited about
0: now a third record where they're just really firing on all cylinders and they're just seemingly in this really inspired space? Does that have you excited for Cradle of Filth going for the next couple of years?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be cool for fans. Um, I'm not the biggest Cradle of Filth fan in the world, so I'm not always the bright person to ask. Um, I mean, I'd rather hear a new record by them than see, like, blood in my urine. Um, <laughs> but I definitely do think that it'll excite fans of the band that have been fans of the last two records, but I don't know how many of those old fans they're going to pull in with it.
0: Do you think that actually works in their favor? Actually, here's a better question. As someone who's gone through a band's discography as much as you do for discography discussion, (sighs) do you think a band of Cradle of Filth's level of, you know, the legacy they have of being around for as long as they have, the records they put out, do you feel that it, you know, having lineup changes actually is a good thing?
1: Definitely uh because one of the things that i notice is that bands that keep the same lineup for like 20 plus years we're talking like classic bands slayer slayer um you know you switch a drummer out here and there but they get stale they get so honed in on what they're doing and they they do change but like they get so um stagnant i think one of the best examples i can think of is like something like a bullet for my valentine when we were talking about how you know i felt i had felt as a fan that they had grown stagnant in their sound and was when re- was really happy whenever they started changing it up a bit i think with a band like cradle of filth you kind of have to have a new lineup to keep it exciting to, to get new ideas on board because you know i think in the fear factory discography discussion which is funny because that band had so many lineup changes but I remember saying that like their whole sound was based on a bet grab bag of ideas. Like Each album might sound different than the last, but it all still comes back from that grab bag of ideas. Whereas you're expanding all of those ideas by bringing new people into the fold and actually listening to what they have to say about the songwriting.
0: I definitely agree with all that. I'm I'm very much looking forward to seeing Cradle of Filth. Uh, I haven't ever seen them live, so I'm very much looking forward to uh, seeing Lindsay and the guys and, and hopefully hearing a lot of the new material live. And uh, reporting back on on how that went. And uh, we're going to start wrapping this episode up. So if you'd like to keep up with all things Metal Nexus, you can find them at MetalNexus.net, Facebook at MetalNexus, Instagram at Metal.Nexus, and Twitter at Metal underscore Nexus. If you would like to keep up with Cradle of Filth, you can find them, are you ready for this? At Cradle of Filth, everywhere. They're one of those amazing online personas where you can find them at the same thing everywhere. Uh, And if you would like to keep up with Lindsay on Instagram and Twitter, again, very simple. On both, it's at lindsriot. And uh, speaking of uh, her socials, actually, as soon as I was done with this interview, I went on Twitter, tweeted at Fallon that uh, I had just done an interview with Lindsay and that she was interested in working with Fallon. Alan said she was down. Lindsay wrote back that she was stoked and would hit her up soon. And uh, so I guess, you know, I put that out into the universe and, and maybe something's going to come of it.
1: And John can expect, you know, 30% of the proceeds from, you know, whatever that ends up being, right?
0: Well, they're both Canadians, so I think my return on investment is going to be a little bit less here in the States.
1: Oh, you're like a spitting distance from Canada. You're fine.
0: <laughs> the exchange rate still applies.
1: Well, that's very true.
0: And uh speaking of the exchange rate, Dan, where can people find you <laughs>
1: online? You can find me in America at uh Discuss Metal Dan com. on Twitter. Yeah, America.com. Discuss Metal Dan on Twitter. Uh Dan and Joe show at gmail.com for email and uh, you can find my other podcast discography discussion at discussmetal.com or on Spotify or on Google Play or on whatever you're listening to this podcast on except SoundCloud we're not on SoundCloud.
0: And if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast you can find us on Facebook at Brutally Speaking. Twitter and Instagram are Bruce Speak Pod, and you can email us at brutallyspeaking at gmail.com. You can find us on almost every platform as well and Dan very quickly is going to tell you why rating, reviewing, and Subscribing is important.
1: Oh, man. Rating, reviewing, subscribing is like the best for podcasters because you're supporting us. You may not think you are, but you are. Anything that you say shows a listener, shows a subscriber. These algorithms that dictate what podcasts you listen to or which ones are recommended to you, they go off of all of that. So you throw a starred rating on there, it's perfect. Uh, it lets people know that you're listening. It lets us know that you're subscribed, that you're into it, it lets us know that you're not into it, uh, whatever it is. And uh, so just keep those comments coming. And speaking of comments, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, our favorite beers and our favorite mixed drinks and stuff. We've got social media, dude. Post those pics of what you're drinking, stuff that you think that we should check out. If you have a beer like like I like, I fell in love with Space Dust, if you have a beer that's like that, let us know what it is. We'll check it out. We'll talk about it on the show. Just uh, throw all that out on our Twitter, on our Facebook, on our Instagram. Let your voice be heard.
0: And uh, if you, speaking of various coffees, spirits, and so forth, uh, if you would like to keep up with our show sponsor, The Bean Bastard, you can do such at TheBeanBastard.com. Go over to Facebook and Instagram at the Bean Bastard. Uh If you actually go to either our socials or The Bean Bastards, uh, you will see that they are doing a – it's not a GoFundMe. It's more of a loan, actually. It's a new website I've never heard of uh, where basically they are looking for, I think, $6,000 to – uh, get their Bean Mobile or the Bastard Mobile or whatever they call it uh, up and running so they can kind of start uh, taking this show on the road literally and figuratively. And uh, the nice thing is is uh, you get your money back.
1: It's a loan. It's it, not a it's not a handout.
0: It's a crowdfunded loan, which I think is really interesting. So you literally have nothing to lose. Um, so go over there. I think it's at Kivi. Ki, k-i-v-i uh but again just go to the bean bastards facebook page i'm sure you'll see it there uh if you feel so obligated to donate uh every little bit helps uh i donated 25 bucks um so every little bit if whatever you can donate will help and uh like i said you'll get your money back so nothing to lose and with that we're going to end this episode so for the brutally speaking podcast i am john and i'm dan we will talk to you guys next time